Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. Hey, Adam, what are you thankful for? I'll tell you, Brad, and I appreciate you asking. My mom's cooking, clean balls, and having clean balls while I eat my mom's cooking. And you know who did that to me? Manscaped. Thank you to Manscaped for supporting the About Last Night podcast. If you don't know who they are, your balls must not be well kept. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, wink, wink, the balls, with the right tools for the right job. And if you want to have clean, perfect balls, Go right now to manscaped.com and put in the promo code ALN to get 20% off your order, free shipping, and a free travel bag. What's that promo code, Brad? That promo code is ALN at manscaped.com for 20% off, free shipping, and a free travel bag. And now, enjoy the episode. This weekend, I will be at the Pittsburgh Improv in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Do you live in Pittsburgh? Do you live nearby? Come out and see me this Thursday through Saturday. Uh, tickets at adamraycomedy.com or improv.com. Pittsburgh Improv, August 8th through the 10th. First time there. Cannot wait. Um, and then next weekend, August 17th, I'll be in Monterey with Adam Carolla doing Adam Carolla is Unprepared. Tickets at adamraycomedy.com. And then August 22nd through the 25th, I'm at Rooster Tea Feathers in Sunnyvale, California. Tickets at adamraycomedy.com. This weekend, Brad Williams is going to be in Las Vegas, baby. Uh, at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club, a new club in Vegas, August um, 8th through the 11th. Go see Brad. Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club. Tickets to bradwilliamscomedy.com. Today's episode is a beast of an episode. We're talking legend status. Been at the Comedy Store since 1976. Guest hosted The Tonight Show uh, more than anyone in the history of The Tonight Show. Um, was a part, uh, an integral part of the uh, creation and founding of the Comedy Store uh, on Sunset Boulevard. Um, just a legend in his own right. Articles syndicated all over the New York Times. Hosts a weekly show um, on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, the Argus Hamilton show, uh, which you got to check out. He's at every big comic con, and it's a, a blast. Brad and I have done it, and uh, and he's here today making his ALN debut. The one and only Argus Hamilton makes his podcast loft debut <laughs> here in Los Angeles, and we talked everything Comedy Store, uh, the, the early days of Robin Williams, Jim Carrey. Um, the, the transition that the comedy store has gone through, uh, how the names on the wall got created, his relationship with Mitzi, Johnny Carson. We covered it all. This episode is truly one of my faves, and if you're a comedy junkie, you're going to love it. So follow Argus on Twitter and Instagram at Argus Hamilton. Me at Adam Ray Comedy, Brad at Funny Brad on Twitter, at Brad Williams Comic on Instagram, um, at Alien Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, AdamRayComedy.com for all my tour dates, BradWilliamsComedy.com for his tour dates. Read the room. My album is still out on iTunes and Spotify. Go get it, listen to it, love it, and then come to my shows. And hear the new shit, baby. Aboutlastnightpodcast.com for all your ALN merch and past and present eps. And uh, shopadamray.com for all the Adam Ray merch. She-Ra Season 3 has dropped on Netflix, so go check that out. DreamWorks is she I voice Swiftwind, the talking horse. That's on Netflix, streaming now. And, uh, and a lot more exciting stuff uh, coming up. And some killer guests that we have confirmed. Holy shit. Um, Chris Jericho, uh, Gary Payton, Seattle supersonic legend. Uh, Stamos is finally happening, so get excited for that. Um, and stay subscribed on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and comment on the iTunes page. And email us at aboutlastnightpod at gmail.com. We've got some uh, fun new announcements coming up that we will be uh, 
using these uh, these emails for. So so email us at aboutlastnightpod at gmail.com, where you get the pod, what you uh, love about it, your favorite apps, uh, where you listen to it, and all that jazz. Now that we got the tour dates, Twitter handles, and merch info out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with the one and only Argus Hamilton. Well, the weekend's over and it's time to chat about it. It's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a juice, so why don't you sit down now? So why don't you sit hey. down now? Listen to our dope podcast. Whether lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of day. So come over and treat yourself right. It's about last night. Come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. Well, come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. Bill Hicks used to call time to uh, pull the ripcord and parachute safely to Dick Joke Island. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, that's so appropriate and so good yeah there's tricks you can do to get him back like but if you're steven wright and you go i once spilled spot remover on my dog i haven't found him in weeks like if that doesn't hit i mean it's a great joke but it, like if that doesn't hit what, what do you do you just gotta go all right and then go on to the next one austin comics were furious that he they felt he cut in line yeah. when he flew out to L.A. early and started doing The Tonight Show. Yeah. Because they felt like he was like third or fourth in line at that big club in Boston. Oh, yeah. And like the, what was it, the Ding Ho? Or huh? no, Ding Ho? What was the what But you was know, big... Lenny Clark <laughs> yeah. was the big MC. Right, he's the then, guy. Uh, the guy who did the fireman show. Uh, fireman show. Uh, oh, Leary. Yeah, Dennis Leary. Yeah, yeah. Was, all these guys were. And uh, a couple of Irish comics were just, and Kevin... Oh, Mooney? Mooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys were way ahead of him in the pecking order in Boston. And he just came out and took well, and that's the thing. Storm. And that's the thing that always confuses me. And I'm, I, I've definitely fallen into this trap before that people think there's an order. And it's like, no. No, there's not. There's, there's no logical thing to this. There's, there, 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 there's no like, okay, it's time for Brad's sitcom. No one else gets a sitcom. Brad gets a sitcom now. That doesn't happen. There, there is no order that's just... However well, it happens. Back then it was, you impress Mitzi, okay? Yep. And then your next task is to impress Jim McCauley, and then your next deal is to impress Carson. Because Jim McCauley booked Carson? Yeah. Yeah. He was the talent coordinator. And what you didn't know when you walked out and did The Tonight Show, especially the first time, yeah. was that you're used to playing clubs with the with the uh, front row right up next to you. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's friendly. It's, oh, yeah. It's packed just like dynamite or a firecracker, right? Mm-hmm. Right. For explosion. And... The NBC studios had been built in 1953 and 54 to try to lure Jack Benny, Red Skelton, and all Sid Caesar, all these great sketch comics from CBS over to NBC. Sid Caesar, okay. show, show of shows. And so what they did was they made yeah. these huge studios sketch comedy friendly. And you huh. would have 400 seats, and you have the cameras in between the seats and you. Wow. And so you would have 40 feet between you and the front row. Wow. And so three huge, to? three huge RCA cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, it takes you one joke to figure out. The studio audience is watching the camera, the, mon- uh, the monitors, just like they're sitting at home. Yeah, they're so not what, watching you. They're not. They're, they're watching the monitors. Up. Okay, they're all watching the monitors. Yeah. So what you do is you got three cameras, one, two, three, and you go for the three 
three setup joke. You go premise to that camera, setup to that camera, punchline to the middle camera, and they explode. Wow. wow. And, that, and that, I've literally never, I've heard probably hundreds if not thousands of people talk about their experiences on The Tonight Show. I've never heard one person describe it that way. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's how it was. And you yeah. instinctively reacted and, and did the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because cause none of us, at least since in 76 and 77, uh, our, when you whole, started, right? our whole cadre of, of comics at Westwood, when yeah. we were traveling between Westwood and the Sunset Store, yeah. we would sometimes stop off at Beverly Hills discos and get up on stage and perform for $25, okay? And these discos were death traps because you had a, the, the curse of all our business, the dance floor between yeah. you yeah. and the front yeah, yeah. And then you had thick carpets, jealous Persians, and <laughs> Anglo girlfriends. <laughs> Uh, who, you know, thought you who, were, funny, yeah. who thought you were funny. Who thought you were funny. And then the boyfriends are like, that, that. yeah, that's not and then, good. And then behind them, they're the backgammon players telling you to hold it down. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're, you know you're bombing when you can hear the dice rolling. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. But it's $25, boy. It's $25. That's, that's a lid. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, I was having this conversation with another comedian the other day because we did, we did two shows and then we heard about an open mic that was going until like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So we went, oh, well, let's go do the open mic. And as we're walking there, we're like, we are sick fuckers. You know that? <laughs> like we just did two sold out shows in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And it was great packed audiences, 450 people. And now we're like, ooh, is there a bagel shop that's got like 15 people that we can go talk to? Let's go do that. Like, yeah, but we're that's sick. How you know you're, we're you're, sick. You're a true comic at yeah. that point, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many... Uh, if you, I don't know if you've ever been a cocaine addict, but you just described it. <laughs> You know what? It, it's funny you That's say that. Like you're looking for little white speckles on the floor yeah. at six in the morning. Do I do I find a little more or go to Seven Eleven now that the liquor's open? Yeah, yeah. it's funny. It's funny you said that. Uh, I started a rumor when I was in high school that all dwarves are addicted to cocaine. Oh really? Uh, I, I I did that because I found out that like I well I kind of discovered that dwarves don't have any real stereotypes. All our stereotypes are like we live in a tree, we make cookies, yeah. we make chocolate. You know. So uh, sorry, Adam. That's not real. Uh, okay. but, uh, Is there a Santa Claus? Yeah, my parents getting back together. But uh, so nothing's real. I started a rumor that dwarves are addicted to cocaine. So when I ran for class president, because and, and the only reason why I did is because you you could do a sketch. I didn't want to run the school. I just right. wanted to do a sketch for the entire school. So I did a sketch where part of the sketch I dove into a wagon with powdered sugar in it. <laughs> and the all the all the kids were like, "Oh my god, it's real!" And all the and all the teachers were like, "I don't understand. Like, is this a new thing?" <laughs> That's the only reason why I did it. That's amazing. <laughs> and that's the closest I've ever done to doing cocaine. And, and all the good-looking good chicks that would go to the Persians later on <laughs> were loaded with money. <laughs> exactly. You were just acting like you are a yeah. millionaire. Oh, anyway, it was fun. Wait, so was that Westwood Comedy Store? Is that where you started? That was 1976. Well, what would happen is, is that um, there was a tremendous generation of baby boomers just hitting the comedy store in 76 we gotcha. just graduated from college gotcha. we'd all gone through watergate you mm -hmm. know and a tremendous amount of baby boomers there were 75 million of us uh were turned off those of us who wanted to stand up and perform in front of the public you know you had about three options you know you, you the stand-up comedy uh politics or the ministry okay those are the three things where you where you perform for yeah living, and right? yeah and you're coming from oklahoma where the where the ministry is probably the top and I'm the top, son, top grandson, chart. and great-grandson of Anglican ministers. So, uh, trust, wow. Uh, trust me. It's I, in the blood. I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Wait, yeah. what part of Oklahoma, real quick? Huh? 
Uh, well, my father would move about every six years to larger churches. Okay. And so I was born in, down in southeast Oklahoma. I do a joke. Uh, so my, it's called Little Dixie. So my uh, birthstone is crystal meth. but uh the point is is that those were the three options yeah and and that nixon and all the things that that disillusioned america out of out of uh politics Mm -hmm. so a lot of us a lot of the really talented ones went into stand-up comedy yeah and so the lay of the land was when johnny carson moved the tonight show to los angeles in may of 72 yeah it was the same month the same year that Sammy Shore opened the comedy store on the Sunset Strip. Wow. What that timing. meant was, was that all the comics who'd been working at the Improv in New York City, yeah. led by Robert Klein, David, uh, uh, all these guys, Steve Landsberg, Jay mm-hmm. Leno, all these, uh, Jimmy Walker, uh, all these great comics, they had to come out to Los Angeles had in order to. to do The Tonight Show. Right. Because The Tonight Show was it. You had to do it mm-hmm. if, if you wanted a career. And so they all migrated out, and the comedy store Sunset was the immediate beneficiary of all this, I would say, 30 to 40 great New York-trained young comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They would all permeate the Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin, uh, and the uh, Dinah Shore afternoon shows. And the really good ones would go on. Freddie Prinze was their mascot. Yeah, sure. Uh, would go on to the Tonight Show. That was the lay of the land. So here come all the baby boomers my age, and... Mitzi uh, establishes a club over in Westwood mm-hmm. uh, between Wilshire and Santa Monica on Westwood Boulevard. And it happens to be a 235-seat room, brick walls, low ceiling, yeah. a perfect, perfect. room. Perfect. It's just as good as La Jolla, yeah, yeah, Comedy yeah. Store La Jolla. And so what Mitzi does is she uses that, she thinks, as her AAA farm club. Mm-hmm. Where she's gonna t- she, she, you, you make regular, and she sends you over to Westwood, right. and suddenly Westwood becomes what Elaine Boozer called Argus's treehouse. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> and all of these great, great co- young comics, uh, we were all in the same pledge class in 76. Michael Keaton, Robin Williams, Arsenio Hall, oh Marshall Warfield. God. Anybody uh, good? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the, uh, Ollie Joe Prater, these, Alan Steven, all these legends, absolute legends. Mm-hmm. There must have been two dozen legends in that one pledge class. Yeah. And so we started, we would perform at Westwood every night. And Mitzi would have MCs, I'd, I would MC. And so Tuesday through Thursday and Sunday, we'd rule the roost. Mm-hmm. Then Friday and Saturday, she'd send the adults over to pack the room. Sure. And, and the big the big room packer was Jimmy J.J. Walker. No kidding. From Good Time. Yeah. Because that was on at the time. It yeah. was right. on for eight years. Yeah. yeah. Eight years. And that's when everybody watched network television. Uh-huh. Right. Because that's you had four channels. So, so Jimmy and the, the Westwood crowd, this, Jimmy was responsible for really the success of the comedy store that led up to Mitzi purchasing the entire Sunset Strip building in 1976. Wow. Thanks to Jimmy Walker. Wow. He's the one that provided all the revenue. That's amazing. And he, did he get a kick out of like knowing that he was, you know, contributing his No, he got a kick out presence. of every audience. It's, yeah. That, that was his deal. He's, yeah. he's one of us. He really is yeah. one of and us. And I've gotten to, you know, meet him a few times and he seems just so friendly. It yeah. seems like this is who he was then. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And great to everybody. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he would he was making so much money at the time mm-hmm. that you had these older baby boomers that had either migrated over from the improv or started early here in 73, 74, like David Letterman and Jay Leno. Yeah. Jimmy Walker would put them to work, giving them $100 a week salaries to write jokes for him. And they would mm. meet at Jimmy Walker's condo twice a week. 
yeah. you would have you would have Leno Letterman, fourteen year old Byron Allen. Wow. And then two legendary uh To be fair, Byron already owned three networks at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> fourteen years old, well. he was yeah. killing it. Yeah. This is what happens if you listen to your mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No shit. <laughs> to this she would she would drop him off at Westwood and wait outside. It, I mean, no oh, way. She, she, she's she's the power of And he was helping throat. write jokes too? Is, huh? that what is that what you're saying? He was there to help? Oh yeah, he was a natural gag writer. He wow. really was. Wow. And Amazing. and he would also have two other soon to be great gag writers uh wayne klein and monty adam if, if there's anybody in the joke writing community watching they're, they're legends yeah and so and what jimmy would do was he would take the they would all write these tremendous one-liners for him yeah and he would put them on on note cards mm -hmm. and on sunday night jimmy would sit on the uh stage at the comedy store westwood Right after Larry David would scream at the crowd, tell him they didn't get his joke to the <laughs> stupid Los Angeles people, and only New Yorkers are smart. <laughs> Which and, killed every time. Yeah. Or, yeah. or. I mean, just embarrassed silence, and I'd walk up on stage. Yeah. What would you say? Like, I, act like it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kill it. And then, but now that the guy you've all come to see, the star mm -hmm. of Good Times, Jimmy Walker, and he would go, yay. And he would sit, this is only on Sunday night, he would sit on this bar stool, and he would read these jokes at Leno, Letterman, Wayne Klein, Byron Allen, Money yeah. ate him. Boom, 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 boom. Just murder. And throw him over his shoulder. And that's the last time he would ever do it. Get the, the fuck out The last time. Here. He threw away six hours of material a year. Just sitting up there having a good time with the audience. Holy I would shit. be, like, if I was a comic back then, I would, like, be behind him with a catcher's mitt. Yeah. yeah. Just like, be like <laughs> <Yeah>. come on. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I got to get a good new seven. That's a great idea because there's a curtain up there. He reach out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet <laughs> Lord. Did Why did he do that? He just, huh? was that a. Uh, no, he was generous. He loved having those guys around. They probably made him sharper and funnier just right, hanging sure. with him. But he loved hanging with him. And uh, those guys uh, were great to hang with if you love writing jokes. They really were. Well, they're yeah, all, they're, they're all natural gag And writers. they're just technicians. Like, yeah. when, when you hear Leno describe how you write a joke, it's like, oh, you've broken this down on a micro level. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it it's amazing. But you're the I, same way, Argus. You know, like, you, I, yeah. I mean, I put you right in that same well, boat well, as all those well, guys. Well, Leno was really... The, like you said, he was the, the one you watched for that perfect construction. Yeah, right. Leno, uh, Letterman's jokes uh, depended on his quirky personality. Mm -hmm. But Leno would have perfect jokes like uh, he would talk about all the, the sleaze going on, on on Hollywood Boulevard, the Sunset Boulevard, mm -hmm. whatever was going on that week. Sure. He would take a deep breath and he'd say, I just say this, if God doesn't destroy Hollywood, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the roof would just come down. There's yeah. the perfect joke on Hollywood. Yeah. And it's a perfect joke and and here's how I always describe the perfect joke is what word do you take out? What word do you add in? Nothing. 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 So you could it's done. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. And 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 to and to back up what Adam already said, like you're that guy where where I mean you your your Joe column, you're writing daily material like you're, yeah, your you're doing Facebook posts. You don't waste words, yeah. I feel like. I don't no, know where you just, got just that. Just adding one out front that Jeffrey Epstein is now on suicide watch, which means he sleeps with one eye open. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Yeah, Hillary's not allowed to visit. Yeah. <laughs> how often? How do you? I, I just brought him a, 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 you know, some wine that Vladimir Putin gave me the rest of people. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, do you have a do you have a process? Do you have a do you have a thing where you go like, okay, I I have you read a, the news uh, first. Yeah, I have a bowl. I have a bowl of kicks. I read the news and I write jokes. Like like, what's yeah. your thing in the morning? What you do is, 
you you look at the news item and you and you, you're trained you're trained there's about five different ways you can attack any yeah. news item and uh whatever you think is funny is what is what you ought to go with okay, okay? trust your instincts you know, I, I learned something in my last monologue uh on tuesday mm. and that is that if i don't believe in the in the let's say the politics behind a joke sure i shouldn't tell it because yeah. somehow the crowd will feel I, I'm not my soul is not in it. Yeah. No, and because I'm always best when I'm telling if I'm telling an Adam Ray joke, it's not something that people would be laughing at Adam Ray. Yeah. It would be a joke that Adam would laugh at too. Right, and mm -hmm. laugh at too. Yeah, and then yeah. I'd say you can take that one and put it in the first person. Yeah, and we'd all be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm still waiting for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come early. Okay, good. <laughs> but you're right. But there, but there's that thing, and it's amazing, and it, it, it takes you a while to figure it out as a comedian where. Like, and I feel like this happens to a lot of comics when they're younger, where they see whoever's hot at the time, yeah. and they go, oh, that's what I have to do. I have to be, like, when I was coming up, it was Dane Cook. There was, you would go to any open mic, any any show, and there'd be 10 Dane Cooks on the lineup. Would any of them get a laugh? No, because that's not Dane, who they're doing they Dane are. Cook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, like, Dane, that, that, that's Dane stuff. It yeah. works for him. Yeah. So, like, you have to find out what works for you, and like you say, if you don't believe it's funny, don't don't say yeah. it, because the audience will know. Uh, but but what I went I went one step further. If I don't believe in the thought behind the premise, if I'm just doing mm. it because it's a clever joke, don't right. do it. Don't do right. it. You have to believe in, in the attitude behind the joke. Yeah. If, if, if you're like, oh, I have a I have this really good anti-gun joke, but you're a yeah. pro-gun yeah. guy, yeah. it's going to come out. Yeah. They're going to know. If I were to do an anti-cocaine joke, people would go, oh, this is <laughs> This isn't you. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> How many jokes? Is there a chick here you're trying to impress? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Who are you lying to, Art? Have you, uh, did, so do you ever, is there a, a, a certain amount of, like, do you have a joke quota that you want to fill in a day or do you really like when do you feel like you've had a good writing day uh i have uh i'm obliged by the newspapers i write yep. for to write 13 jokes a day gotcha and they're when all did that three, start they're all three sentence jokes three sentence jokes. okay you've been uh, doing that for how long uh started daily oklahoma in 1991 wow because when see i was i was sort of groomed everybody in the 80s when i was doing all the tonight show shots mm -hmm. they said well argus is like johnny's son okay Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and to be honest with you, Johnny was communicating with my father and with Mitzi at the time. No way. You know about my my cocaine and and, and alcohol addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were they would eventually get together, force me to go to the Betty Ford Center and get well, or I had no place to go and no daddy wow. to fall back on. Wow. So, so, so but but that made me untrustworthy with the people up at NBC. Sure. Mm. So I got bypassed for the chance to guest host uh, for say Shanling uh, Letterman was already going to guest host right? yeah. but Shanling, Shanling and, Leno, and Leno went rivers. flying by me because yeah. I was deemed either out there partying or too young in my recovery to oh, wow. have that responsibility so in 91 after um, after trying everything to get on as a host of a Fox talk show mm -hmm. I came real close to that but uh uh, I, I decided. Well, I'll just I'll just retreat and go the newspaper route, like Will Rogers did, who's yeah. a good friend of my grandfather's, and started doing the newspaper thing. Yeah, and that came along with the Persian Gulf War and all this stuff. And suddenly, I was Material. hot again with uh, with the reporters because the reporters, print reporters, were always really good to me. Yeah, oh, really. And that and, and like and your column got to be syndicated like 
Yeah, everywhere. Okay. And uh, everywhere. All, the, the big deal that, uh, that millennials wouldn't understand right now is that mm-hmm. there was a, a great radio host that was bigger than Rush Limbaugh at the time mm-hmm. who had a five minute or 10 minute uh, news commentary that was syndicated all over the country called, named Paul Harvey. Mm. Okay. And Paul Harvey had, was on the radio for 40 years. He wow. was like Jesus on the radio. Mm. Right? And he lived until like the age 97 or something. But he was a factor on radio up until about the year 2000. And for <laughs> eight years, Harvey would quote one of my jokes every day. Cause wow. My assistant would fax him the 13 jokes. Yeah. And, and so everybody knew me. Yeah. But I, I was just... I was on TV hiatus because the 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 TV, young TV executives my age in the '90s thought I had already passed my sell-by date as okay. far as getting uh, becoming a host. Or I, uh, after my first Tonight Show shot in '80, it was so huge uh, that in the next five coming through in the next year and a half, I was offered 36 sitcoms. And yeah, turned, turned them all down. I read that somewhere, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I was like, "There's no way no that's way. true." I, I was not going to be known. It was because it was because I was partying with Robin Williams, and he was miserable at being known as Mork. Okay, yeah. And Jimmy Walker hated being called JJ. Yeah. And wow. So I said, "I don't want to be known by my sitcom character name the rest of my life. I want to host a talk show and do stand up anyway." Yeah. I'll stick to the comedy store. Wow. Not knowing, yeah, what a survival uh, compass I had inside me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because. 25 years later all my peers they've gone through their sitcoms they've gone through their fortunes uh the kids private school tuition taxes divorces accounting, divorce <laughs> settlements uh you know all this stuff yeah and they're spent cartridges all gotta, right gotta and do it again and they're showing up at the comedy store and there's no room at the end yeah wow okay Cause, yeah because because of all the people that have now come up in taking their place but and it's always amazing to me because you look at like the comedy store instagram and it's almost every post of that of of that of that lineup will have someone go like because it'll it'll have uh, you know sebastian joe rogan ali wong liza just all these big stars and then and then it'll have argus and some people will comment like who's this argus hamilton guy and then other people comment like no you have to go see oh, it. Like, that's nice they'll oh, yeah. fight with them be like no you yeah. have to How see argus well, well the comedy store social media maven emma lee is right here and yep. she's responsible for getting so much of yeah, this going crushing it and she's a terrific young comic herself oh yeah mm-hmm. from canada but she is the one that, that, that gets us out there and and, and, and then, it's, it's then, instrumental. then you then you've seen it you you you've seen or, the yeah. comments that they're, they're, they're like who's this Argus guy going on before Rogan? Yeah. Everyone's like, no, fucking show up early. Yeah, yeah. see Argus, and but, this but, is why Rogan's here, but, but, and that's you your know, spot. But 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 guys guys at, at yours and Adam's level and mm-hmm. and all the way up to Rogan, you you, you younger Gen Xers, okay, mm-hmm. have really really this is your time. I mean, yeah. you, you guys, and this is a time you're going to be filling uh, theaters and. Uh, and, and I just advise all of you to not leave the comedy store. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, what do you, I mean, obviously the comedy store has gone through and evolved in these like chapters of its um, existence, but like in, it's, it's, it's so incredible that you've gotten to be a part of it from all stages. Uh-huh. And I mean, to me, there's no better time than now, but then, but that only is to say after the time when you were there and it truly was in its origins. I feel like that yeah, will like never, the there will no Sam time will Kinson ever years, like, compare to that. Now, and, and you can argue that the talent now in, in its own right is comparable to the talent that started, but it's like, to me, it's like, none of it exists without that original group mm-hmm. and that time and what was happening. 
And um, how much of, of that do you think about when you even just walk through the halls of the store now? What, what I think about when I walk through is it has a lot to do with the transitioning you're talking about mm -hmm. because it was so much more organized before the TV show Make Me Laugh started in 1978. This mm -hmm. is so important for comedy fans to know. You can Google this stuff, but uh, there was a very strict hierarchy in stand-up comedy. You impress Mitzi or Bud mm -hmm. Friedman over at the Improv. Yep. Mostly Mitzi, though. Then Jim McCauley, the Tonight Show guy, green lights you. Then Carson. And what you have to remember is the entire industry, every mm -hmm. night, or at least Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, watch Johnny. Yeah. Okay? Every agent, manager, studio executive, watch Johnny. Mm -hmm. And if you're a brand new comic, and it, it's like a virgin coming out, getting off the bus in, in L.A. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, let's get her. Fresh <laughs> meat. <laughs> and yep. you go out on that stage and you kill that Tonight Show crowd, the whole town descends on you. Yeah. That morning, I wore a white suit on my first Tonight Show shot yeah. and just brought down the house. And Johnny didn't just invite me over. He walked over and shook my hand and stood there oh, and stood there with me. And, and the, the crowd went nuts. Because that was a big deal if he came it over to you yeah, or you went to him. Yeah. yeah. And so that night, uh, all my, my, my buddies at the comedy store, my peers, like Mike Binder, Alan Steven, uh, Robin, uh, uh, Mitchell Walters, Biff mm -hmm. Maynard, Tim Thomerson, we all went over to Mitzi's house to, to celebrate. Okay? Yeah. And celebrate we did. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and by 6.30 in the morning. How'd seven, you celebrate? Seven, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, we're out of blow. She's out of, of liquor. That means it's time to go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's seven thirty in the yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. And, and this so, is like before cell phones. So when people are getting a hold of you, it's no, no getting a hold of you. Yeah. So Mitzi's up on North Doheny. You know, a steep three blocks above Sunset, above right. Gil Turner's Gil Turner's liquor store, and she's worn out. So I said, I'll just walk home. You know, to West Hollywood. I'm sure. I'm halfway down the hill from Tower Records on Palm. Oh, yeah. Above Santa Monica, below Sunset. And so I walk down Doheny, and when I get to Sunset, I turn left, and it's about 8 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And with God as my witness, as I'm walking down Sunset in this white suit, people are honking their horns. Like, Argus, you were great. You killed it last night. Oh, oh man. Holy honk, honk, honk. shit. I felt like a Roman general coming into Rome on a chariot, you know, with yeah. nobody telling me you're mortal. You know? Right. You know what I mean? And it was the most incredible experience, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Everybody honking. And I never forgot that everybody watched Johnny because these were all agents and managers coming to work on the strip. At yeah, the yeah, building and yeah. Stuff. And so That's that was incredible. the hierarchy then. Yeah. Then Make Me Laugh is there. And what Make Me Laugh does is it destroys, it's syndicated on Metro Media. So it's on against the local ABC, NBC, CBS newscasts mm -hmm. right? in every market. Okay. And it kicks everybody's ass. Yeah, because it's okay. news or laughing. Yes. <laughs> I'm standing up and you're the you're the contestant, okay? Yeah. And there's a great studio audience here. Yeah. And I'm standing here and I'm telling you jokes, trying to make you laugh. Mm -hmm. Secretly hoping you don't. Right. Because the crowd's going nuts and the camera's on me. Right? right. And so this goes on for thirty minutes a night and it becomes hugely successful. What happens? Every Every city in America decides it can have a comedy club. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Right? And all of a sudden, the comedy clubs mushroom, the number of comedians mushrooms. Sure. Another unintended effect is that it starts uh, offering us comedians five to $10,000 a week, door money, 
in 1980, 79, 80, That's 81. like $40,000, $50,000 a week When rent now. was 200 a month, the phone bill was $10 a month, and uh, gas was 60 cents a gallon. Yeah, you're rich. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, you've got... And eighteen thousand dollars. You can hire people to drive down the street and honk at you and scream. Honk at you were great last night. <laughs> and, and it's and that was just the hookers. Yeah, <laughs> they were everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> Hollywood West Hollywood Incorporated in '83, and there went the hookers. Yeah, yeah. son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. were the hookers. I think I saw that on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah there's an AIDS epidemic. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, don't give me it's all a bad name. All right, and so. It, but, it, but that was a trap. Okay? Right. First of all, it produced all these comedians, mm-hmm. but it lured a lot of L.A. headliners onto the road yep. where, where they met the waitress, got married, oh, man. started having kids. And that was and, that. And the town forgot about them. The law of unintended consequences. The, the town forgot about them because they were making so much money on the road. Yeah. And then it, it, two, three years later, what happens? Well, a second comedy club pops up and a third in each market. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon they're in paper wars, yep. And the amount of income goes down. These guys are stranded out there on the road because now they're the getting baby free boomers tickets. in the late yep. '80s. Stop. They, they finally settle down by 1990. They stop going out. They, they go to their, their homes and their churches and their real lives, leaving clubs to the uh, to the mercy of this little Gen X generation yeah. you have that was only 35 million people mm-hmm. and there was a 10-year depression in the club business because all you guys did was uh, go to uh, uh, viper rooms and uh, <laughs> die in the parking lot yeah <laughs> yeah sorry we were such buzzkills <laughs> those were the days yeah. oh my god but yeah it, it's so it's so amazing wow. that you can track it like that like yeah. it's yeah. scientific like you just yeah. go like and that's where that and happened that's at, where that happened at the, but at this time in the 90s mitzi's mitzi's hanging tough she's hanging tough and she's taking mortgage after mortgage on her house up on North Doheny to keep the comedy store going. No yeah. way. Yeah. Then the catastrophe hits her and uh, she, she, her, her physical condition starts deteriorating when she mm-hmm. finds out she has Parkinson's and the Parkinson's takes a few years to devolve into Alzheimer's yeah. and and you know it, it gets pretty bad there for a while but but luckily around, around 2004 2005 the millennials turned 21 and yep. they start streaming in. They start streaming in. Mm-hmm. And it's like blood returns to the body. <laughs> and then in, uh, in 2013, young Brenton Biddlecombe comes to the comedy store yep. who knows how to use social media. Yeah. <laughs> and we That's have, a good Brenton impression. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have uh, young comedians like, uh, like uh, Sarah Mostajabi is willing to go down the line mm-hmm. on Saturday nights and get every customer's email address. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, email list. And suddenly we start compiling this list and we start putting together websites. And before we know it, these these millennials, they're just too spoiled to stand in line wondering if they're going to get in the show. Mm-hmm. So they start buying up all the tickets before the show even starts. Yeah, yeah. And now we're sold out thanks to that. Thanks to millennial. How much Amazing. do you remember those conversations with Mitzi? I'm so curious about like that time when, I mean, you you kind of brushed over, but it's like to have her take her mortgage from her, like to the extent that I don't think people realized that she was going through to keep the store alive and what she was going through. Like, and you were very mm-hmm. close with her, so like you know, what do you remember moments yeah, yeah, where yeah. she was like, I might have to sell, or I might, or just having this uh, maybe a, a, an understanding at some point of like, I guess, man, like get in your last few sets because things I don't know no. if we can keep. Th- th- Think of think of her ex husband Sammy mm-hmm. going on stage with Paulie until like weeks before he died at the age of ninety two ninety three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. To to Mitzi, the comedy store 
It's because she was an art major at the University of Wisconsin when she met Sammy at the Wisconsin Dells in 52. And she was always an artist at heart. And to her, that lineup was her work of art every night. That was her gift to the public. Yeah. And she very carefully scheduled everybody in order of just the way she wanted that show to right. shape and bend. She had okay. ways, she had ebbs and flows, she yeah. had okay, this is, yeah. you know, the, 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 this comic going here is going to help this comic, and then the, the, this one's dry, so the show goes down, mm-hmm. so we put this comic, it, it was... Like Jay would follow Robin, is that correct? I, I can't remember, somebody spoke to having to follow Robin, and the, or prior, maybe Leno had to... Well, well, see, Robin, Robin from an early time on, from 1978, 79, Robin was a drop-in. Mm. So whoever followed Robin just had to follow him. Wow. He was a drop-in. <laughs> Because he Good couldn't, luck. you couldn't schedule him, or, yeah. or or it would be unfair to the either. I never understood why he wouldn't allow himself to be scheduled because it would have helped Mitzi. It really would. Yeah, because Richard allowed himself to be scheduled. Sure, but um, but the point is, is that. I just wanted to add is yeah. that there were a lot of more musical comedy acts back in that era. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because in that era, everybody knew the same songs, everybody knew the same commercials and the same parodies sure. that were erupted like vile mushrooms. <laughs> song and you, oh, it, you just the murdered jo- the crowd with a simple stuff. The while, joke while writers. Hard working monologists yeah, sat yeah. there and Oh, yeah. yeah. We hate, like, oh. and it, it, it's so funny because I, like, we're all friends with guitar comics. Yeah. It's fine. It, 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 it's a talent in itself, sure. but, there, but there's a part of us that goes, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you got music somebody else's you. lyrics uh, yeah, somebody yeah, else's yeah. song yeah. Yeah. I get all the glory look at my big schlong yeah. <laughs> and see they got a laugh yeah I got a big laugh I actually want to close with that now yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly I hate that yeah <laughs> we always I'm do sorry about the big laugh it yeah. just got um, so, so she never yeah. uh, I mean her she pride with the lineups the, the musical acts just, just, just so okay you mm-hmm. know, for the break you were talking about but right. she but, but you know to speak to her just uh the the conviction that she had as far as like there was no plan b for the store not working yeah no, none at she all. just was like when it was in hard times uh, i mean did you ever see a look in her eye that was just like or was just was it just always like all right we just need to figure another way to keep well, this going the hard times are a bit exaggerated now because uh you know the, the friday night and saturday night she just had a nine o'clock show friday and nine o'clock main room and those shows were full Mm-hmm. They were full, sure. and the hard times are perceived to be. It might be a, a an off tourist night or something. There might be twenty or thirty people in the original room, that, and people remember that now as five or six. You know, <laughs> but 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 she was struggling. Yeah, she was struggling, and she, her consciousness went just about up to two thousand seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And I talked her into uh, into uh, cooperating with both. William Needlecedar, I'm dying up here, mm, mm-hmm. and Richard Zoglin, who the Time Magazine writer who wrote the other book about yeah. the comedy store, yeah. and she made it through those lengthy interviews for really good biographies of the comedy store. If anybody wants to, so to enjoy them, oh yeah. But the but the one person I haven't mentioned that I'd feel like I screwed up if I didn't was Richard. Okay. Yeah, Richard Pryor. What people cannot cannot fathom right now. I don't know if there's a star, just a period of a star, not just comedy star, on the level of Richard Pryor with the yeah. baby boom. Yeah. Every generation of, of comedy fans has its naughty uncle. <laughs> okay? Richard Pryor was was ten to twelve to fourteen years older than baby boomers, okay? Yeah. But he was our Pied Piper. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, when, when he would fade, Rodney Dangerfield would take his place as our naughty uncle. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm trying to be the naughty uncle to the, to the <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, you're very good. Yeah. Yeah. And because I, I, I tell him just how to have enough fun, all the fun you can have just before rehab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but I noticed that. And, and Richard, uh, he, he had some film success, signed a $40 million deal with Columbia for, for like five movies yeah. and, and just before his, uh, his accident in 1980. And you can't imagine the excitement on the Sunset Strip when he would decide to put together his next album. Oh. What would happen is Mitzi would have a regular show from eight o'clock to 10, yeah. then empty the room, yeah. and there would be a line outside. This is the original room. Okay. Coming into the original room, and Johnny Witherspoon, yep. Letterman's good buddy, mm-hmm. godfather to his son, was the head doorman along with Harris Pete, and they would make hundreds of dollars a night with best seats, seating oh, people yeah, yeah, for Richard. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Richard, the thing for comedians to understand is that Richard would stand up there, refuse to do any old material, yeah. and would just build, just build every single night uh, while somebody was tape recording him, and he would just, like a jokesmith, wordsmith, and he would turn each thought into a story, and he became, he reminded me of so much of Samuel Clemens. I tried to get him to name his last album Dark Twain. Okay. <laughs> you know. Samuel Clemens was Mark yeah. Twain's real name, for yeah. those who don't know. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, one night, I'm, I'm up at Mitzi's, and uh, we got a call that, that Richard was at uh, at the hospital in Reseda. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and we... we motored over there real fast and Jim Brown beat us there and it was the three of us well he's the football player he's the greatest running back of all time I would hope he would beat you there (laughs) and giving Richard the worst possible advice you know (laughs) what you gonna do what you gonna do what what are you gonna do you're gonna go to Betty Ford and get yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. but but, uh, it would be a while before Richard decided to to go to treatment and by then Mm -hmm. he was starting to have physical problems himself yeah but no one commanded and, and just absolutely had a superstar status well and i was gonna say because we've got some crushes now but you still just nobody it was a different time but i mean you just it was the way you looked at him yeah yeah because he he had he had his he was denied the lead role in um in uh, blazing saddles because he was considered unreliable because same reason i was right Right. but this is 1973 74 unreliable sure Sure. so mel brooks put him to work on the writing staff yeah to put it together and he was one of the writers and they would keep a shoebox full of cocaine on the big conference table and just write these jokes all day that you still laugh at wow okay and but but prior came out of that with his great breakout album Mm -hmm. that nigger's crazy Yeah. yeah okay Every by the way, single, that's the name of the album, people. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, <laughs> so Argus is saying it, but it's the name of the, the, album. Name of the album. I don't like. Yeah, I don't Richard know how else to do it. And his mentor, Paul Mooney, were my yeah. mentors. Yeah. And, wow. And they would they would deploy the N word like a stiletto every night on us. They were just brilliant. Perfect at with it. it. Just yeah. perfect with it. And uh, you you can't say Richard without Paul Mooney. Oh because, yeah. yeah. Because Richard Come had on. cracked up on stage in 1971 in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. doing cute little impressions, kind of like Jim Carrey would ha- it would happen to him 12 years later. Yeah. The cute little impressions that he just hated doing. Yeah. He but they, to be but they would kill every night. Yeah, so he, he, so he he felt a need he to do it. it. Yeah. And and so he cracked up on in Vegas, came back to Hollywood. Paul Mooney got a hold of him, mm-hmm. and they and they thank goodness to Red Fox. They started writing scripts for Red Fox, mm-hmm. and Richard started getting his feet on. Got yeah. up at the Comedy Store and started being himself. 
Yeah. Same thing would happen to Jim Carrey 15 years later. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, what that same thing, huh? Exact Just, same thing. When yeah. did that turn for him happen? Just he was doing impressions and finally one yeah, day. He got, well, uh, Jim Carrey was doing all these cute, really brilliant little impressions, one right sure. after the other. But, you know, as 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 boxed in as as a Stephen Wright routine. Just sure. boxed in. Totally. Yeah, he couldn't that character. He couldn't express himself. He couldn't no. do he, he couldn't do anything off script. No, and he got tired of it and yep. one night he's up at at Crest Hill, the, the house where I lived in, right above the comedy store that came with the purchase of the comedy store from Mitzi. Mm-hmm. So she turned it into a place where the comedians could <laughs> live. And um, and Andrew Dice Clay and Yakov Smirnoff and I lived up there. But the guys would all come up and party and um, after I'd gotten sober, it was still used for that. And Sam Kennison was up with his crew and Jim Carrey partying one night. And it was Kennison, Kennison who turned Carrey around. He said, wow. you're hilarious. What the hell are you doing your cute little impressions for? Be yourself. Be this guy. Be this guy. Because he was funny off stage, oh, huh? He, yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. Yeah. And, uh, and, and why do you want to be somebody else when you can strike it rich as you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so Jim went to Mitzi. We went to Mitzi, and Mitzi said, I agree with Sam. She said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you up every night at 1145, right next to Damon Wayans. Jeez. Get it? You see it coming? Killer. Yeah. Killer. After about six months, they become great friends. Jim's his breakout act, and Damon uses Jim as a designated white boy on Living Color, and the career is born. Wow. And and that's that's the architect that Mitzi was. Exactly. Now, why does she want him to follow Damon? She, because she, uh, Damon, uh, she really, she so respected Damon as an artist, and she could see Damon backing him up, no matter how much he struggled breaking out. She knew that Damon would get the crowd back. Yeah. Damon, oh, so Damon followed Jim. Damon okay. followed Jim. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And because Damon had a murderous act. Yeah. But he loved experimenting and going deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Uh, particularly with his uh, his his leg thing. Wow. <laughs> Do you remember that turn when uh, when Jim did finally, I mean, after Living Color, did you kind of, were you sitting there like, you know, get, having a, a front row seat to it being like, all right, well, I knew this was going to happen. I, I saw I saw him feeling his oats uh, from it. And he went out on stage after Living Color and he, and, and he, you know, the line still has to be linearly funny, right? Mm-hmm. But not, not if you're feeling your oats. Yeah. Yeah. So Jim, Kerry walks out on stage, jam-packed house, huge round of applause, sure. and he says, yeah, yeah, great. You know, on the way here, I stopped by 7-Eleven. You know, homeless guy asked me for a dollar. I said, sorry. <laughs> you know, I got nothing less than a 20. Oh, and I walked on, and the crowd went, oh. oh. And I told that to Mitzi. She said, that's hysterical. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, Brad, how you doing today? Well, I'm doing fantastic, Adam. Well, I want to tell you, I I don't think as friends that we talk enough about how we keep our balls. We really don't. And I think it's really unfortunate. And I think at this point in our relationship, we should be talking about how we keep our balls. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. Back in the day, manscaping, oh, it was Dude, horrible. Rough, literally. You, had, you bought, you you either used your own razor yeah. that you use on your face. Or your stepdad's. Uh, yeah. you, you, <laughs> maybe you stole your girlfriend's razor and Gross. used them. And maybe Gotta you, make up a lie to tell her you didn't use it on your balls. Right, and you... All these things aren't designed for your balls, Adam. They nick. They cut. They hurt. It doesn't <laughs> feel good. Well, thankfully, Brad, Manscaped has the answer. 
What are they? Well, they're the number one men's below-the-belt grooming uh, business. Manscaped offers uh, precision-engineered tools for manscaping your balls with the right tool for the job. Now, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, using razors or the same trimmer you use for your face is the way to go. And Manscaped is here to tell you that this is not the move, okay? Um, there's so many times that we've nicked and knacked our ball sacks, like you mentioned, and, uh, and it's just those days have got to be over. Manscaped, what they do, they offer amazing products like the Perfect Package 2.0 kit that features the Lawnmower 2.0 with skin safe technology. What is the lawnmower 2.0? Brad? Oh, let me tell you about yeah. this thing, Adam. I have used this thing. It is wonderful. Imagine shaving your balls with no fear of mm. the nicks and cuts. You yes. get as close as you want. The lo- the lawnmower 2.0. This trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts, and it's also 100% waterproof. That's so great. guess what? Do it in the shower because yeah, you don't want to get electrocuted trimming your balls in the shower. That's a terrible way to go. Oh, here lies Brad Williams. How'd he die? Electrocution while shaving his nuts. What were his last words? Good. <laughs> ow my balls. Ow my balls. <laughs> I don't want ow my balls to be my last words. Yeah. And they and they won't be with all these great products. And Manscaped, if you get the Perfect Package 2.0 kit, you even get a, a shaving mat. So if you're not doing it in the wow. shower, you lay it down. You don't get your towels dirty. You, you know those towels that you use to yeah. dr- dry your face? Yeah. Now, now you're not getting a face full of pubes because yes. you use the manscaped mat and let and let me tell you the entire perfect package 2.0 kit also comes with ball deodorant mm. and a ball spritzing spray what? maybe you're just going in and out you, you don't have yeah. time to do the full thing get the spritz spray you, you you spritz it on it's water it's aloe it's wonderful it's like a vacation for your balls <laughs> and because who said your balls don't want to be spritzed Maybe Oprah, but look, <laughs> she doesn't know what she's talking about. She may have good soups and good, good and good specials, but she doesn't know about balls. But Manscaped does. Get twenty percent off the Perfect Package two point kit, uh, free shipping and a free travel bag with the code ALN at manscaped.com. Uh, again, that's promo code ALN at manscaped.com to get twenty percent off the Perfect Package two point kit, free shipping and a free travel bag. Again, with that promo code ALN at manscaped.com. Get precision tools for your family jewels at manscaped.com using the promo code ALN. Brad, something in this room smells good, and it's not your face. It's my balls, Adam. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I've got to know because were you around when the uh, strike happened? I I caused the strike. You caused the strike. You're well, talking to the right guy. There we go. Now, uh, summer of '78. Summer of '78. Now for now for those unfamiliar or maybe you didn't like or maybe you watched. I'm dying up here and thought, oh, that strike angle was pretty funny. No, that was that no. happened. <laughs> no, here's what happened. Okay. Okay. Should we hug that mic a little bit more too? Just, yeah, bring, just bring it up to you. Yeah. Okay. Mitzi purchased the entire comedy store in July of '76. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Richard, thanks to Jimmy Walker. She was able to get this uh, balloon loan from I God knows who. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. she got uh, she bought the famous Ciro's nightclub building with right. all three showrooms in it. All the time up till now, she had just simply leased the original room from the leasor, who was a great L.A. disc jockey from the Ricky Nelson late 50s era named Art LeBeau. Okay. Art LeBeau had the main room. Gotcha. Okay. okay. But Art still leased it from the owner. Mitzi bought the building out from under Art LeBeau from the owner mm-hmm. and tried to have LeBeau evicted. LeBeau still had his lease. He had Mitzi evicted from the original room for three months until she bought him out for uh, $50,000 cash. 
Wow. And for, for three long months in the fall of 76, the entire comedy store was at Westwood and everybody just had 10 minute sets. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. So, and so when Mitzi gets, the, gets, when Mitzi gets the entire building back, what happens is she ha- redecorates, she hires this crooked paint salesman <laughs> at a paint store for, if he'll, if he'll give her a big discount on the paint, She's mm. going to redecorate the main room. Mm-hmm. She'll make him assistant manager of the comedy store. Oh, <laughs> That's a pretty good and, yeah, deal. And the crook yeah. goes along with it. I know exactly what's going on because I'm not only the doorman and MC at Westwood, I'm Mitzi's runner during the day. Yeah. So I'm having to go all around town picking up all this paint and paintbrushes and all right. this material in Mitzi's little... 1975 Pinto, okay, mm-hmm. using Mitzi's driver's license and checks to buy this stuff. Yeah, and wow. on and then the and the, the funny thing is all the all the uh, vendors knew Mitzi. Yeah, but she scratched out with her pencil the year she was born because it's none of their business. <laughs> driver's license, okay. <laughs> so uh, we buy all this stuff, and she redecorated this 400 seat main room, but mm-hmm. so that her peers. Yeah would have a room to play in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Mitzi, as, as Sammy Shore's wife in the 1950s and 60s, was he was in a great pledge class of comics too. Oh, yeah. Don Rickles, Shecky Green, Buddy Hackett, that yeah. whole group God. of great comics. Right. And she wanted them to perform in the main room. Uh, Shelley uh, Berman and uh, of course uh, Dick Gregory, all these, these mm-hmm. giants. Mm-hmm. None of their agents would allow them to play the main room. Mm-hmm. Why? No money. No, it would hurt their Vegas draw. Oh, they were wow. all tied to these big, rich contracts to the Bally's and Caesars. And if if people in L.A. could see you at the, the comedy store, why would they drive to Vegas and and and, and right. not gamble? Shit, right? Okay? So they they didn't dare go in. Yeah. And they didn't hit Mitzi till they all refused her. So what was her uh, game plan? So then? so yeah. what happened? Well, she would try this and that. And, Tiny Tim, who you don't even know, but it was a oh from the Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, tried him. He drew six customers. Okay, <laughs> okay. and he was huge on the Tonight 45 Show. Forty-five million viewers on the Tonight yeah. Show when he married Miss Vicky. Yeah, in the most. Yeah, the, one, of the, one of the highest rated moments in television history was his wedding. Yeah, his wedding on yeah. the Tonight Show. Well, by seventy-six, interest had waned. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, he didn't really have much for now. But anyway, she was trying a little novelty thing. She was able to get Dick Gregory though. Okay, and it it's was a, a great get. thing because he would not allow alcohol to be served, so that all these black families could come up from South Central LA and bring their children to see the great Dick Gregory and wow that was an experience but there was only there weren't that many times you could do that yeah so what she did was she's sitting up in the main room booth all alone with me and Biff Maynard about 2 30 in the morning in the summer of 78 Mm -hmm. and she's crying because she can't do anything about the main room yeah and and I say, Mitzi, you've got. I'm I'm running Westwood now. I'm I'm the host over there. We're sending 150 people a night on Friday and Saturday over to the Improv because yeah. we're full. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you put your comics in this main room? Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. And she said, Well, uh, that would make this a professional nightclub. I said, Well, you would make it for Rickles and everybody else. She's no, but this is part of the graduated t- system of da, 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 because she didn't pay. It was a right. showcase club that you used to showcase for the industry. Right. And right. Back then, everybody showcased for the industry because you weren't getting paid at the comedy store, so you got on TV pronto yeah. just to survive. Okay, so that was the, it. Was col- col- comedy store was more of a college then? Yeah, an artist colony. Well. Uh, Mitzi um, finally after Biff Maynard uh, browbeat her into trying it Mm 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, and she said, Argus, what's the reason against it? I, I gave Mitzi's line of, uh, of defense, the comedy store is an artist colony, and yep. it's not for, uh, for paid people. It's, you're, you're to grow here, not to be paid here. I don't want to be a nightclub. I said, Mitzi, times have changed. You know, It's a nightclub now. Mm-hmm. We've got a whole generation of people pouring in, and you've got a room here that Letterman, Leno, Gallagher, Skip Stevenson, Elaine Boozler, Marshall Warfield, Paul Mooney yep. can pack this place while we're all packing the other rooms. Trust mm-hmm. me. And so she devises a plan of six shows for $25 and tries to sell ticket packages and stuff, and it just it, it doesn't quite work. And uh, she schedules a show for free in there, and Tom Dreesen and, uh, gets together with the 25 comics and, and, and meets with Mitzi and says, look, let's figure out a way to, to get paid in here. And, mm-hmm. and she balked at first, and they negotiated back and forth, but Tom made what I thought was a mistake at the time of, of bringing in 200 comedians to the meetings instead of just the 20, 25 main room comedians okay. that would have played the main room, Yeah. Mm-hmm. okay? And Mitzi finally settled with the 25, and they were celebrating it at Cantor's Deli. <laughs> we did it. We're going sure. to we're we're have a place. It, you can go from Westwood to Sunset to the main room, and you know a lot of us won't even have to do the road. We're going to do so well with yeah. the main room. Yeah. And Marshall Warfield and Brad Sanders come up to uh, Dreesen in, the, uh, uh, in Cantor's and said, what about us? What about the rest of us? Mm-hmm. And, and Tom said, what do you mean? He said, well, we were all at the meeting with you. Weren't you, weren't, how about us at Westwood? At, at, yeah. And, at, at, and in the original room. And re, I believe, as it says in the book, I believe at that time that Dreesen realized he'd recruited an army to do the work of a platoon. Mm. Accidentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everybody just wanted in on it. Right. Yeah. And then he and, thought, oh, this will be a sledgehammer of force, not realizing, yeah. oh, shit. And then they they'd completely underestimated Mitzi because they thought they could they could just bully her into it. Yeah. And she said, absolutely not. The, the Westwood and the original room is going to be for an artist colony graduated system of development. Mm-hmm. So they called a strike. And for five of the longest weeks of my life, mm. yeah. you know, my friends, 150 of them, picketed the comedy store. While about ten of us played the walked through the picket line, and played every night. So you crossed the picket line. Oh yeah, I, I know. I was out on the picket line talking customers into coming through. Wow. Were was, was, comics getting mad at you as you're doing? No, it? no. They realized I'm not from I'm not from working class anyway. My allegiances weren't with union anyway. Okay. My, my dad told me, "You remember your family fought and died for the queen. <laughs> you do the same." <laughs> hey, yeah. Hey, there you go. And Missy was so the queen for sure. That, that's the Hamilton line coming. I was the royalist out there. Yeah. <laughs> the masses. So, but 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 Dreesen and all the rest of them said that as. As the book says in, uh, I'm dying up here, he says, Argus Hamilton was always a gentleman. And I, I, I was. And I said, these guys are my friends, but we, we got a great show tonight. And yeah. a lot of people, you know, anti-union people would drive into the comedy store just to walk through the picket line and watch the show. No way. Wow. And the show would consist of me and Alan Bursky, Lois Bromfield, Yakov Smirnoff, uh, Mike Binder, Biff Maynard, uh, um, I'm no, I'm, I'm still a great David, show. David yeah. Tyree, my God, oh, yeah. David Tyree, oh and my God, so uh, yeah, we'd kill the crowd and have a great time. But, yeah, but two weeks into the strike, mm-hmm. I had an idea, and I went next door to the Hyatt House and met with the uh, with the head of the strike guy that would eventually be the co-owner of the Improv, Mark Lano, and mm-hmm. we sat in the mezzanine at the uh, Hyatt House. And we worked out a deal where the comics would get paid $25 a set in the original room, 15 at Westwood, and get half the door in uh, the main room. 
Mm-hmm. We agreed on that. I took back. I said, Mitzi, this is the deal. And it's it's going to work. We finally got it, and it's only taken two weeks. Yeah. She said, all right, let's do it. And we'll just we'll just get through this one more night. And Alan Stephen and her walked down into the. Uh, he was another one. He was great. Oh, yeah. He, Alan would sit sat by the window with Mitzi as the as the strikers were going by, and all of a sudden they broke into song. And, and they, what were they singing? And they were singing the Tonight Show theme. <laughs> it so happened that David Letterman was guest hosting for the first night of his career at the Tonight Show that night. And his truck was pulling in up the Hyatt ramp and they were wondering who, which side he was gonna take. Because in 1974, Letterman was discouraged and was about to drive back to Indianapolis and Mitzi talked him out of it. Wow. What did she say, do you know? uh, You've got it, you've got it. You you have to stay here, you're the next Carson. Mm -hmm. Don't you give up. Can you imagine? She said this in 74, so because of her, he stayed. (laughs) You're welcome, everybody. Because of her. And so he pulls up the ramp and parks, and everybody wonders, what's he gonna do? He walks down the ramp, and he joins the picketers. Mm. And Mitzi, sitting there with, with Alan, breaks down, completely crying, completely loses it, all right? And of course, all Dave is doing is, his best friend is George Miller, who was one of the strike leaders, and, and he would never go against George. He's just supporting his friend. Yeah, supporting his friend. And nobody, I didn't question anybody's motive. Yeah. And David was doing what he thought was right. But it destroyed Mitzi. And what that did, it made her angry. Mm-hmm. And she nixed that deal right away, and she says, I'm gonna outlast him. Wow. And so for three more long weeks, we went through this, mm-hmm. and finally, her, her attorney came in, and we got everybody to finally got her to sign on to the same agreement, mm-hmm. and it happened, and there was there was peace there was peace for that day. By the way, still well, st- still the deal to this day. Yeah, same deal. <laughs> <laughs> However, yeah, for, for for those of you who see the packed house at the comic store, going these comics are rolling though. <laughs> same deal, yeah. 1978. <laughs> same deal, no raises, yeah. nothing like that. We're not complaining, but I'm just but I'm just yeah. letting you know mm-hmm. what 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 the life is. Yeah. Well, that was it was a generous settlement uh, yeah. back yeah. then, and uh, the. And uh, especially back when rent was like I tell you, two hundred a month, and, yeah. and no, there were no phone bills. I mean, just, there was nothing. Yeah, yeah you, could pay, to, you could pay. You could pay rent. So it gave us it gave us what two grand a month to put up our nose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody had any money at the end of the month. It was yeah. the same deal. <laughs> I love how Argus talks. You talk in like, all right, well, this is how much cocaine you could get for the salary. Like, you, like you don't get paid. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's enough for a car. It's enough to feed your family. This is how much blow you can yeah. get. Yeah, well, the summers were the blow. We, we just, there was something about us that we just hated sleep. So, <laughs> so but, but the, the final uh, DC Alfina to the story is mm-hmm. is that all of these open micers who joined the strike to show their support for yeah. the working comedians. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, they thought they, well, waiting for our time slots now. Mm. And this is going, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, a, and if one of them included a, a really talented writer who, Mitzi had used sort of as a filler comic in the early 70s when she didn't have that many comics during the week named Steve Lebetkin. Oh, yeah. And Lebetkin called in for time slots twice and didn't get any the first two Tuesdays when he called in. And so Mitchell Walters is walking by the Hyatt house and he sees Steve Lebetkin going in. They say hi. And next thing you know, Lebetkin jumps off the Hyatt house onto the uh, ramp and kills himself. Yep. And... uh, and all of a sudden, it almost restarted the strike because his friend Richard Lewis was so angry about it. They were holding these meetings. How could Mitzi do this? Yeah. And 
it took the guy who wrote the book mm-hmm. uh, i'm dying up here william needlecedar yeah. did some research and found all these crazy letters that Lebetkin had written his father and his family and yeah. posted them in a two-page story in the Sunday calendar section of the LA Times, which everybody read every Sunday back sure, then. Sure, sure, sure. And so everybody read the calendar section. And uh, and, it, and, and Needle Cedar laid it out that Lebetkin was disturbed and this thing wasn't Mitzi's fault for not yeah. giving him any time slots. He wasn't getting right. any time slots before the strike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there, there was always a legend that he was trying to jump and actually land like in the comedy store, but then couldn't make it because the because the jump is so far. That's <laughs> fair, that's fair. But I, I, his 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 widow slash girlfriend never said that, so I don't know yeah. who, would, who would know. Nah, that's that. probably some comics just but trying to start I, rumors. My and my, stuff. my reaction was to have the Hyatt put a sign out saying "Beware of falling comics." <laughs> <laughs> You're going up that ramp. That's the last thing yeah. on your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. exactly. Whose idea was It'd it? Be a to- good, uh, you know. Insurance, car insurance commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so here, oh, here comes May here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was it to put the names on the wall? Because I feel like with every comedy club has its own prestigious elements, but nobody has what the store Mitzi, has who with else? getting your name. Yeah. Mitzi. Yeah. Because still it, today, <laughs> that is you. I mean, Brad and I can yeah. both attest. Oh, and, dude. I, like, I mean, it's literally, I mean, I worked there doing the phones for five years and the countless amount of, and everyone's journey is different. Some people waited for a little bit, popped in on some shows, yeah. got the right stars to align, got some cool credits, were a little further along. I mean, now we see the amount of comics that are coming through and getting past. Everyone's journey is different. So it means, but it, it, it means the same to everybody. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm curious how it was when those names first went on and what you, um, if you get uh, that same feeling for people when you see it happen now. No, it, it's a much bigger deal now. Okay. Because we were spoiled snots then. And <laughs> what took you so long to think of this? Right? And, 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 what we, and again, we were all two steps behind Mitzi. Yeah. Because she did this whole thing to help build up this new outdoor patio mm-hmm. that she constructed that used to be a, a parking spot just for her and one other person. Wow. And she built that thing, wanting it to be an outdoor place where the kids could have a drink and enjoy themselves while waiting to go into the show wow okay. and it's still and i mean it's, wow it's that's a, amazing and it's now one of the places to hang it out. is that's the spot you just, the even if you don't go in the show you that know, patio you, everybody watch goes by on sunset boulevard you're out there having a good time yeah seeing the comics and you know yeah great place for, for dates just to hang it it is. It, it's a nightclub without being a nightclub yeah. you, you you can literally just hang at that bar and, and you think that's see the world i saw something uh two weeks ago uh when um uh Mike Binder got uh, David Letterman to do the upcoming Showtime special on the comedy. No show. way. Mike Binder's got, you know, going to have yeah. like eight, eight specials. Amazing. Uh, on have you Showtime. been, uh, I'm sure you're oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all over he, that. He interviewed everybody. And because Binder, Binder and I started the same year, we, we ran together. And uh, there's this brand new patio on the roof. Have you seen it? Yeah. You've seen it? I've no. Seen it. It's unbelievable. There's a, there's a plank that goes out right near to where the, the comedy store sign is. Yeah. And then there's a wooden, we'd say 12 foot by 12 foot patio with a couch. On the roof? On the roof. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. For us to hang out at. 
I know. I think right now it's just for interviews. But but once yeah. you see it, oh, that's what they've been doing. Once interviews. you're going to see it, you're going to think maybe there's a way to get from the belly room to that roof. Okay. Holy you shit! Could, you could see it coming. Yeah, yeah there's so much space, even great. all the way up to Polly's office. I never, until I worked the phones there, didn't realize how big it is. Yeah. I swear, every time I go in that building, there's a new room that makes me go, "Wait, yeah. what? Yeah, this is yeah. here." And now you guys, are, you guys both killed it on my show. We oh got yeah, the artist so Hamilton's comedy uh, store. Tonight. Yes, uh, plug that. Where do comedy store tonight? YouTube. Yeah. Right on, on on YouTube, and I want to stress, you write a monologue. Yeah. For this, like like this every week. This is a this is a Tonight Show caliber yeah. Yeah. monologue. These, yeah. these are great jokes, and you the have Tonight a, Show caliber guests. Yeah. Yeah. You I guys, mean, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah us. Uh, I mean, I mean, no, no. You do. You both murder on it oh, because nice. you know there's a hot little crowd downstairs in the studio. Yes. Which yeah. is great. About fifteen people. Great acoustics. Yep. Great walls. Yes. We know a hot room when we see one. Oh, in yeah. the belly, and, and you're doing it in the belly of the comedy store, which yeah. is just like. I mean, what is that like for you to be like doing it, that? It only set me up for a great joke against Yakov because I said, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, uh, we're, we're down here. Uh, I said, I said, Yakov, yeah, yeah, welcome to the show. You know, it, it's shot in the basement, just like the Romanovs were. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, he just fell over. Uh, I crippled him. Uh, <laughs> always, you always got one. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's such a cool vibe, and I would, I would suggest people not only. Uh, watch it uh, subscribe to it on YouTube but also if you're in the Los Angeles area like like, like you say there's a studio audience yeah stop Come on by, by on Tuesday Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Tuesday night and, uh, 8 o'clock and then download it all week yeah, uh, Argus you, Hamilton's Comedy Store tonight you just had uh, Kevin Nealon on and uh, like so yeah we're getting you guys are getting great guests it's a fun show and uh, and it's A it's funny B if you have any questions about the the inner workings of the comedy store like, yeah, I'm your guy. You get it there, as you can tell from this Inner podcast. Workings is a funnier line than you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Um, I do before we close what was out. What's like in bed, Argus? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. well, I mean, you brought it Slim up. Girls with big boobs, you can't beat it. Yeah. <laughs> that was her power. Oh. She'd sit in the back of that halter top, and yeah, she was just like Oedipus with all her little. Uh, <laughs> love that. That is. Uh, there's so much. Um, I want to know just two more things before we close out. And thank you again for doing this. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, you, you know, I don't know if you truly know your impact on comics and as much as, you know, you, um, the, how prolific you are writing wise to still be coming uh, in night in and night out and, and crushing and being so kind and the conversations that I've had with you in parking lots and pre and post show and your, your quick uh, tips and advice and, and observing. And, and even though if you're, you know, in and out some nights, you're still taking in so much and you're still, you know, living and breathing the store and yeah. are so much, um, you know, it makes my night when I'm there and you're there and I get to bring you up or and I'll sit and watch, you know, it's like there's very we all see so much. There's very few people that you but it's truly incredible uh, the well, way that you, you are still something. operating. You you guys are the kids and family I was too selfish to have. Okay. Uh-huh. So, so that that's it's it's a double pleasure for me. Really. Well, and and the and my favorite part is just wa- watching you do your spot and watching the faces of the people in the audience who are there to see you know whomever, and then just go, who's this guy coming out in the suit? You know, and all the comics are wearing t-shirt and jeans. Who's this guy in a suit? And then just watching their faces, just smile and laugh and go, holy shit! There ain't no school like the old school. Uh, yeah, thank you, buddy. I appreciate. It. Thanks for having me on the show. You guys are great. Well, I do. Yeah. Can we do something before we wrap up? Certainly. You got a few more minutes. Is yeah. that cool? I want to just kind of um, 
throw out some names of people that have just come that you have started with that you got to see and uh, just get a few thoughts on on yeah. each of them and people that are uh, you know from the past and, and the present and uh, and just a few well it's a few sentences or a few words or, or whatever sure. mm-hmm. um, Roseanne Barr Roseanne Barr groundbreaking comedian and uh, no pun intended on that either. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, he doesn't she, stop, uh, people. No, she she came in uh, at the perfect time of the woman's movement, needed uh, yeah. a blue-collar spokesman, yeah. spokesperson, and she just blew the roof off. Ollie Joe Prater discovered her in Colorado and phoned Mitzi about her. And, and then so uh, she came in to town with Felicia Michaels mm. yeah. and uh, showcased for Mitzi immediately. Mitzi had Jim McCauley come in. And the next thing you know, she was on The Tonight Show. The interesting thing about Roseanne, two things, is first of all, her husband, a Colorado hippie, <laughs> was the one who wrote most of that first perfect feminist act of hers. Mm. He wrote it. Crazy. And she delivered it, but he was the brains of the operation. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, he was smart and brilliant and a real feminist. Mm-hmm. Second thing about Roseanne I most admired is that about 10, 12 years ago, she did a HBO special in the main room mm-hmm. in September. I remember that. Always yeah. risky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the Santa Ana breezes. Oh. And the Santa Anas came in that night and knocked out the air conditioning. And she's got 400 people yeah. in there, and it's blistering hot. And yeah. we both know what hot rooms are for comedy. Oh, it's, yeah. It's death. She's, she's in this sheer cotton thing. She says she doesn't care. And she got up there, and she destroyed that crowd. And they were, it was 100 degrees in that room. And, and, and that's, that's guts like I've never seen before in my yeah. life. Yeah, because yeah, many other people would have canceled. Uh, Bill Burr. Bill Burr had the privilege of working with him. I never saw him until I worked with him in La Jolla about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is the next big one. This is the, this is the guy that has it. He, uh, he's not only a brilliant thinker and a funny guy, but if you watch him closely, he uses his voice like a coronet player. Okay. Hmm. And, and you're not just listening to a joke, you're listening to a song yeah. being played the intonations, by a coronet. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that has a mesmerizing effect on the crowd, just like uh, an uh, an India uh, uh, flute player would have on a cobra. Yeah, it's wow. same, yeah. I <laughs> that's a brilliant way to depict. Yeah, it. I'd say that. Uh, I'd say like if y'all, if uh, other great examples of that would be uh, Lewis Black, where he knows he knows when to ramp up. He knows yeah. like he, he he's going and he's just talking about politics, and then he's talking about the shit that yeah. pisses him off, yeah. and then he's it just temp- timpani play. Yeah, yeah, it just ramps up, and then. He could say almost anything, and yeah. you would laugh just because his rhythm is so perfect. I think he watched a lot of Sam Kennison, who was, who was a... Who, oh, my God. Well, yeah, well, good. there's another one, yeah, Sam. Sa- Sam, would, uh, Sam would just lullaby you with nice, sweet, funny stuff, and then the subject would turn to women, and then rage! <laughs> oh, <laughs> it would just be, oh, so you're going to get married? Oh, yeah. You're going to have, the, you're gonna have the, the nice life? Or you you're talk about, about to get Jesus, married. right? Yeah. <laughs> you coming back, Jesus? Sure I will. I'll be glad to. You know, <laughs> you know, as soon as I can no longer whistle between my hands <laughs> <laughs> uh, just before you get married i just want you to remember this face ah! <laughs> oh he was wonderful greatest god uh gerard carmichael gerard brilliant thinker and i i wish he had hung around the store longer yeah yeah because i opened for him on his hbo special you did in, yeah in 2013 mm-hmm. and Spike i believe. still filmed at the store right yeah yeah, yeah. and, and it was also just like roseanne 
uh, same time of year, and the air conditioning went out. Oh, God. <laughs> and what's worse, Spike Lee is directing it. Yeah. You can imagine the tension. Oh, you know, when God, the, yeah. yeah. But the crowd hung in there, and he killed. But Gerard Carmichael had the balls, a three-ball tomcat. He stood up, and he... he, he he, st- he stood up and talked about the good side of slavery. Okay, and he talked about how if it hadn't been for slavery, he said, "Me and everybody, a black person in this country, would be back in Ghana right now. <laughs> we owe these people." Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and he's got the guts to do this. Yeah. Oh my God! If I said that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, al- I I always look at guys that do topics like that, and I just Burr has a couple jokes like that where I'm going like, "Holy sh! Like you're taking it from that perspective? Yeah, wow! Yeah. Let's see how you out. let's see how you dig dig out of this yeah. hole, and I, and they find a way. I, I, I get out of a hole with that." Uh, I've got a I've got a great race line, and I've I just found a a, a way to, to to really pour milkshake on it, mm-hmm. and that is uh, after I get away with it. Sure, I say my name is Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the line. That's br- about. Oh yeah, dude, yeah. that is brilliant. So, so awesome. Keep going. Um, yeah. uh, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, I'm not that familiar with. Okay, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I I admire the way he. Murdered. Have you? Yeah, it just as far as in the. Uh, I mean, you know, because a lot of people compare, like, for him, maybe being our generation's prior, more or less. You know, yeah, that's that's pretty much what yeah. everybody says. Yeah, I, I've I've never watched him. Oh, really? Never. Wow. You know, I don't watch comedy at home. I'm too busy working. Yeah, you are. You but are. I hear, I hear it's fantastic. Because that's and, a chat with him on your show is something that I feel like the powers that be could well, facilitate. Well, uh, who is it that wrote, co-wrote, or co-founded? Neil Brennan. Oh, Neil. Neil Brennan. Neil's Neil's probably the smartest guy in stand-up. You know, he's. I would not. Uh, yeah. be quick to argue that. Yeah, yeah. I put him in Gerard for just these guys yeah. that are just constructing jokes where you're just yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, Brody Stevens. Brody? I never w- saw him perform because he always went on last, but I had him on the show. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this guy gets away with murder. Okay. <laughs> he stands on the stage and he'll talk about personal improvement. And he'll talk about <laughs> beat his chest like Tarzan and, yeah. and inspire the crowd to be great and then pull a great punchline and then go back to his thinking you know <laughs> and and he would just hold your audience up there like the most interesting human being you ever saw in your life yeah, yeah. and and at the, i thought he was more of a mesmerizer than a, a pure stand-up mm-hmm. but he he got people to love him so much it didn't matter yeah you know? he, yeah that's a really great did. way to, to describe it he truly did i think there's i mean how much do you think being likable on stage matters it, it's, here's a tip for you and every comic watching mm-hmm. if the crowd will love you just as much as you love it, okay? Before I go on stage every night, I'm an Episcopalian. I say, okay, Lord, please allow me to reflect your light, conduct your warmth, and radiate your joy to this audience, okay? Mm -hmm. Let me be the funniest man to hit this town in 43 years. (laughs) Let's go. And I walk out there. And that, you know, the, your glory, not mine. And and that's as sweet as I am all week. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a regular, you know, I'm a regular guy. But, but you know, when when that yeah. moment of truth is, everybody gets religious. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, like Jeffrey Epstein before the sin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be good from now on. Uh, from this point on, yeah. I'll be good. Yeah, like, no oh, more Lord, from now on. Oh, yeah. Lord, give me celibacy starting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, two more. Yeah, uh, Adam Egget. Adam, wow, he uh, the now Booker he, he of the Comedy Store, he, yeah, Booker mm-hmm. of the Comedy Store. He was assistant manager in uh, 2013 when we lost uh, our our Booker Tommy to uh, so, some administrative problems. Sure. And uh, the, the problem being, no one was going to the club. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Adam was thrust into this, yeah. and didn't want it. 
didn't want it. No and I kidding. encouraged him to stick with it and stick with it and stick with it. And Adam has developed into an uncanny Mitzi impersonator. I mean, he really schedules the lineups he like it. Mitzi would yeah. in the absence of all the music, okay? In the yeah. absence of all the music. He schedules it just like Mitzi would. And he picks the comics just like Mitzi would. Mitzi didn't care on, on open mic night. If, if, if you were funny or if you were funny, all she cared about was your charisma. Mm-hmm. Do you glow up there? Mm-hmm. That means you love the crowd. Do they love you? Yeah. And if you, if you had that glow, she'd say, you're a regular. I'm sending you over to Westwood. You can develop that act. Okay. Adam has a different problem now because mm-hmm. of the success of the comedy store. Back in my day, for a long time, you did the comedy store so you could get on television. Right. Today, you do television so you can get on the comedy store. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, that and makes is, a lot of and, sense. And, and Adam uh, underscored that to me the other day, or not maybe a month or two ago, when he said, uh, I, I, said I said, it's so tough for these kids to break in now. And uh, he said, yeah, he says, to become a regular at the comedy store now, you almost have to not need it. <laughs> and that's that pretty much it. So, yeah. wow. so, so when all the door people at the comedy store, our door guys, mm-hmm. you know, they're starting to break in and become regulars. Yeah. I say, no matter what you guys do, no matter what you do, you keep one shift a week. Yeah. You do not, because the world is full of very funny comics out there that aren't part of the comedy store. Mm-hmm. You guys don't don't become regulars and go out and become road warriors. You stay at the comedy store because your career is going to depend on this place. It really does. It really does. Wow. Because it's if, if you like if you like riding in a Rolls Royce, you keep that one shift. Because there's, there's a world of Chevys out there you can tool around. In. Yeah, I definitely. You know, I stayed on it's the phone career after I got past for, yeah. for a few more years because I just I knew I didn't want to. I mean, you know, I, I the spots were the spots, but I wanted to make sure I was around and, as and just just to soak up not only the sets but the conversations. I don't know. I'm sure you know you're uh, you know did a, a lot more of it probably when you know uh, we're starting out. But like for us, those late night parking lot conversations, yeah. the hang is so important, right? Yeah. I mean, do you yeah. see? I mean, that and do you, is that a part of maybe some advice you would tell a young comic? Absolutely. Just, stay at the store and you socialize. That's how you learn. And stay up late, even if it's yeah. not parting in the parking. Yeah. Lot, but you just to be around, be around, and and to get a chance to be in a conversation with a with a Rogan or a Neil or a Sebastian, to where you can talk comedy or talk shop or or talk life, and just to get a little more comfortable in yeah. your skin and in that uh, environment. I would add that every bit as importantly as you're doing that. Also, form a pledge class of guys at your level. Okay, yeah, and you all grow together. Because trust me, 10 years from now, you guys will get each other a lot more work than any agent will. I was just, wow, yeah. Yeah, and th- yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, that's, uh, like, look at what's happening right now with, with sort of... Yeah, Gerard like, putting boom. on Tiffany Haddish on his show, yeah. you know? Yeah, and then, and then, and then when that happens, uh, Rogan and all the comics that are sort of developing from his... Yeah, his co- his his, co- his coaching tree. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it, it, his tree. It, that's good. Yeah. yeah how do we crazy. get in that tree? Yeah. <laughs> Is there any more space? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, check me in. Uh, Dean Del Rey is yeah. destroying. And, yeah. Uh, crazy and story, Rogan, right? Uh, is it, yeah. Uh, is it? Oh, Burr has him opening. Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, uh, what about what about uh, uh, two more? Sebastian okay. Maniscalco. 
don't watch him enough, but right. I've seen him mesmerize a crowd as I'm walking yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I do my set, then I go yeah. to the car because I get work to do. The, I'm man, always, the man talks in bits. Yeah. It's crazy. He's on, you know, he's, you know, they say he's on yeah. the, uh, you know, one of the top grossing comedians and, and a guy that truly, you know, was going back and forth from his hotel job to the store yeah. and just to, you know, piggyback on your point about how necessary the store to not lose that. Did you know, he like, use uh, social media to, to break through with all the Instagram? I mean, I heard that a lot of uh, bits of his were posted on like these big Italian groups on Facebook and not that this was yeah. what catapulted it, but yeah. yeah, he did use it in some fashion. A lot of bits from whether it was specials yeah. or Montreal showcases, but yeah. video clips that got circulated on these because that mm -hmm. is a big part of his demo. You well, know, When I think of him, I think of a guy about on the same level in age that I did see one night. That was uh, Theo Vaughn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, Theo Vaughn is one charming guy up right. there. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, they love him. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I said, this guy's got it. Yeah. Uh, last one, and uh, I think we all know, Mitzi Shore. Yeah. Who, Mitzi? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how you... How you uh, Mitzi, Mitzi is the most important person I ever met in my life. Most mm -hmm. important. She's the Ziegfeld of our generation. And uh, Flo Ziegfeld was the top of, of the vaudeville era in the 19-teens and 20s. And, and had Will Rogers as his headliner, along with, uh, along with uh, W. C. Fields, Eddie Cantor, uh, uh, Mr. Bojangles, Bill Robinson, Fanny Bryce, that was mm -hmm. Mitzi's idol going yep. up. Uh, Flo Ziegfeld was the top, and his theater would be the theater that David Letterman did at Forty Second Street. That was the, became that theater, mm -hmm. and Mitzi was our generation's Ziegfeld. And she was an artist. She loved stand-up comic. She was a Leo to the absolute <laughs> bone, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, she was a force of nature. And up until about 1990, from about 76 to 90, she was 14 years, she was the most powerful woman in show business. Yeah. Without a doubt. Because she could, she could make or break you. Yeah. And, she, and, and she purposely, I think, made, this, made a mistake similar to what I made when I turned down all the sitcoms. In 1981, uh, she, she had very cleverly and smartly, when, because she had the Z channel in the late 70s, which was the first cable channel in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and just played movies, okay? She saw cable coming when HBO came on, home box office, they yeah. And she had the first HBO comedy special, Chevy Chase and Friends, at the comedy store, okay? <laughs> she got the idea, she said, I'm going to uh, copyright the name Comedy Channel just like a mm. comedy store you know she copyrighted comedy store but she let them steal it in london because she knew it was free advertising for <laughs> but anyway she copyrighted comedy channel mm -hmm. and 1981 sure enough hbo comes calling they fly her to new orleans at the cable convention and they offer her three specials a year five hundred thousand cash a sitcom and name your project every single year if they can have wow. the phrase comedy channel Wow. And she says, no, I think in a few years I'll be developing my own sitcoms. I'm going to keep it. And they said, okay, Mitzi, are you sure? And, and Mitzi, I'm, I'm in New Orleans with her and, uh, and uh, Lou Deck and uh, mm -hmm. doing the archives for her yeah. and, and her attorney, Neil. And I said, Mitzi, this is, this is a big deal. This, this, you know, this is a big deal. Yeah. This puts us all in play. You know, network. Right. We can go around network this way. We don't have to go through, you know, the Tonight Show. We don't have to go through these wow. stupid NBC vice presidents. Yeah. We we can do our own. And comedy. then she and then she's executive producing and all of it. She says, "I don't want the store to become a video whorehouse." 
<laughs> and and HBO says Michael Fuchs says okay we'll just call it uh, Comedy Central. <laughs> oh my God! They say it's history. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice she ever gave you? Best, uh, or that you heard her give. Best advice she gave me was when she ordered Ollie Joe Prater and Alan Stephen to drive me to the Betty Ford Center. <laughs> Uh, November third, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty damn good advice. And and, uh, and Alan and and Ollie Joe, uh, we went in Alan's Jewish Jeep because the only Jeep in L.A. with air conditioning. We <laughs> 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 call it his Jewish Jeep, and we get to Palm Springs. We decide to go downtown and just have one last little party in my honor at sure. uh, at Tony Roma's, and we get <laughs> smashed at Tony Roma's ribs and shooters and everything yeah and we get out to posh rancho mirage you know the the, the richest suburb in in america mm. per capita i mean just unbelievable yeah i think state. bob hope used to live there yeah, yeah, yeah bob yeah. hope boulevard yeah yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it's where it's where the uh, betty ford center is mm-hmm. and we, we go 20 miles east in coachella valley to uh, rancho mirage in the jeep and i say guys you know Let's let's go to Seven Eleven get one more six pack before I go in. <laughs> and and they say okay, it's for you. And so they drive around and we drive around and for forty five minutes we can't find a Seven Eleven. And Alan and Ollie Joe, I can't understand why they're so agitated. They say we just got to get rid of you, Art. We got to drop you <laughs> off. So they they drive up into the Betty Ford Center, and they and Alan and Ollie they can't wait to they get my luggage they walk in they walk in ahead of me yeah. the admission nurse looks at them and says two <laughs> <laughs> and then Alan Stevens says no wait till you see what's in the car yeah. <laughs> and the way Alan tells it he says I get out of the car come walking in he says in a, in a suit I look just like Jack Kennedy yeah. coming in and they say this is a patient and they say, yeah wait you'll get to know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, they drove home, and, and and there's and there's two afterthoughts to all this. First of all, Alan and Ollie Joe had an eighth of an ounce of cocaine on them. They didn't tell me about. Smart guys. That's why they were in a hurry to dump me off. Ah, they could get ah, wow. to business. Wow. Yeah. And they said, Argus is a waste. You're getting well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're, you're going to be sober. What, yeah, why should we yeah. get this to? Yeah. And then. And then the final punchline is is I'm performing at the Betty Ford annual reunion. Wow. Uh, a, a year later. I've got one year of sobriety. Mitzi's there. She's crying. And uh, she's going to Danny Stone at the time. But he gives her the night off. She comes to Rancho Mirage to see, you know, these 800 millionaires and me, <laughs> graduates of the Betty Ford. Yeah. And I'm up there performing. And I said, I talked about look, driving around looking for that 7-Eleven. I said, to this day, I don't know which was stupider. Mm-hmm. Me thinking that another six-pack of beer was going to fix me or that there was a 7-Eleven in Rancho Mirage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The that, great... I owe my life to Mitzi. Yeah, I owe do. my life to her. She gave me a life. She saved it. And she gave me one back. That's amazing. The rest man. I got to give to the public because that's, that's, that's why she saved me. That's amazing. Oh well, yeah, man! It's uh, you're a you're a, a a comedy treasure and just a fucking real life well, treat. Thanks for having and me on the show. Being around you makes everybody better, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, it was you, a lot of fun. Guys. Was it good? Yeah, you guys are great. You were uh, so fun, man. Comedy so Store tonight on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to it. Argus Watch Hamilton's it. Comedy Store tonight. Argus Hamilton's <clears throat> Comedy Store tonight. Come to the Comedy Store. See him in the suit. You got to Polly on. <laughs> you got to Polly on soon. Yeah, that's huh? got to be a great chat. Polly, has he been on the show yet? Uh, Paulie's waiting to uh, see how the dust settles on all these documentaries yes. before he, he participates in gotcha. the video. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. We'll see it. 
Um, and uh, on social media, Argus Hamilton. Argus Hamilton. At Argus Hamilton. At Argus Hamilton. Perfect. Go. I mean, I end every set by saying, you all remember to friend me on Instagram, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast give them a five star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes also get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app you can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia Adam Devine, Michael McDonald Jaleel White, Bud Friedman Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Meh, what's up, dog? This is your pal Bugs Bunny. Say, uh, I got a question for you. Do you know who has the head of Elmer Fudd and the body of Foghorn Leghorn? Why, that's Adam Ray and Brad Williams. Ain't I a stinker? Stop letting fibroids and endometriosis take over. Right now, thousands of women who have visited the specialists at the Center for Innovative GYN Care are saying the same thing. I shouldn't have waited. Waiting to treat a GYN condition can prolong the symptoms and often make them worse. Fibroids will grow. Endometriosis will spread. Why are you waiting? The CIGC specialists use exclusive laparoscopic techniques to treat complex GYN conditions. You don't need to suffer from abnormal bleeding or pelvic pain. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888 surgery.